Hi, I'm Dr. Marianne Sintron, founder of Step-by-Step -Step Dyslexia Solutions. Thank you for tuning in to our Dyslexia Solutions YouTube today. Dr. Uh, Marianne, she just is amazing and um, just such a support. And the work that she's doing in step-by-step -step, um, is just been amazing because there's so much sacrifice in this work. There's so much that has been poured into this work. There's so much, um, you know, intent that has been put in to make sure that something can be delivered at a quality level for all of our kids and communities near and far. So I just don't want to, you know, negate the opportunity to be able to um, edify her and the work that Thank she you. does. The <laughs> same person you see in these 15 minutes that is passionate about the program is the same person who assess the kids, tutors, teaches she teaches tutors, teachers, teachers, just all that's the same person, right? It's the same love and, and, and passion. And the thing that you mentioned at the beginning that you empower um, and, and encourage, I think is so powerful because I think it speaks to who you are as a person and that that's the part that people should connect to. And that's the part that people should realize needs the sponsoring and the support to continue this work in the world. So continue to do an amazing job. I um, stand for you and I just, you know, support you as much as, you know, as we can. Hi, thanks for tuning in to our Dyslexia Solutions podcast. I'm Dr. Marianne Sintron, founder of Step-by-Step -Step Dyslexia Solutions. So I bring peace to parents by helping their dyslexic children read so that we can build their self-esteem, help them unlock their genius minds, and allow them to achieve success in school and in life. So the reason for this podcast is to interview parents of dyslexic children and we interview dyslexic adults. And I also talk from my heart. And the reason this podcast is important is we want to raise awareness of what dyslexia is so that you have knowledge because knowledge is power. And we want to let you know that you're not alone in your situation. So thanks again for tuning in. And here we go with our special guest for the day. So I'm very excited to um, introduce to you my special guest. Would you like to meet an Academy Award-winning producer-director? Well, Peggy Stern is one of my new friends, and she actually won an Oscar for the Best Animated Short Movie. She is the author of Super Deville, and she's going to tell you a little bit about that. I'm just so excited with all that I've learned with what she's doing to help with social and emotional help for the students who have dyslexia. So welcome, Peggy, come on on board. <laughs> Hello, I clicked there I should be. Hi. <laughs> Hi, is my sound on? You sound great. Okay, good. Would you uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself sure. and um, about your family? 
Sure. Well, I'm dyslexic, so I guess uh, people assume that um, as part of why I'm here. And uh, my story is unusual for the time in which I grew up because, you know, I was going to elementary school in the early 60s. And in the early 60s, people really didn't talk about dyslexia. If you think that people don't know that much now, it was the dark ages. And I happened to be incredibly lucky because my grandmother was in the field of teaching and she um, worked with a lot of people who were, she was actually a social worker, but she worked with a lot of educators who were specifically working in the area of learning disabilities. And she um, noticed I was the youngest of five kids. And she noticed early on when I was almost only four, four or five years old, that the children's books that my siblings had whisked through and picked up very quickly, I was struggling with even being able to know the sequencing of the months of the year. You know, the books that would sort of even say the days of the week, like sequencing you know, was just not happening. And she knew enough to know that that was a sign of something. And so she called uh, one of her colleagues who she th- knew was just an incredible tutor, Orton Gillingham trained back then. They knew uh-huh. all about it. That's the incredible thing, isn't it? Yes. How much you knew back then in some mm-hmm. way, if you had the resources and were lucky enough to get to someone. So at five years old, she bundled me up in my, you know, little outfit to go meet uh, Dorothy Pace. And supposedly Dorothy told me later that she figured my grandmother was being super hyper, you know, that it was young to be worrying. Because even then, as much as Dorothy knew, the early intervention piece was not as known. They hadn't done MRIs. They Mm -hmm. didn't know what we know now. And Dorothy figured she'd humor my grandmother. And she would just meet me and say, you know, she's going to be fine. But that's not what happened. She met me and she said I was classic. I mean, everything I was doing was just she didn't even need to do a full evaluation. I was clearly very dyslexic. You know, our audience would probably be very interested to learn what can you remember what some of those things were when you were four and five besides sequencing of books or Um, I really don't remember the testing. I remember what she did with me in order to help me learn because honestly, she was like, I lucked out and had my own private Mary Poppins. I mean, she honestly understood, which is a lot of why I do the work I do, that it wasn't just helping me learn in the, in the multi-sensory or in Gillingham way to break down words. And I remember very much having flashcards with the, you know, parts of words and that I wasn't going to be able to like learn a whole word and all of those things, but she would turn it into a go fish game or she would turn, I mean, because back then there weren't, you know, apps and all these things. She was literally making it all up as she went, or (laughs) she would, you know, work with me. One of the best things she did was that early on this, I worked with her for years. I mean, it took a really long time and I went to school in the day and then three days a week, it was like, I had my own school again, which I lied to all my friends about because I was embarrassed. Mm -hmm. But one of the things she did that was really amazing is that she knew that I loved to tell stories. And so she would have me dictate to her a story. She would just have me make up a story. Uh She would type it up for the next week because there were no computers and she would type it up as if it was, you know, the book that we were going to read and I would be reading my own stories and she would encourage me because she would be saying, of course I typed up your stories 
you're really creative. You know, why wouldn't I? And so while I was sitting there knowing that I was taking three times as long to learn how to read these simple words that my friends at school were way ahead of me on, she was saying this really magical thing to me, which is, but look how creative you are. I took the time to type up your story. Isn't that I really very affirming with her, my becoming a filmmaker, my becoming a storyteller. Mm. Because she really, as early as six, seven, eight was saying, you know, in this very subtle way, your stories are important. So even though we have to work hard at something else, you have a strength. Well, and, and that's so- something we really talk about is parents recognizing the children's strengths and gifts when they're little. And encouraging them in those areas. Exactly. And she made it fun. We used to cook. I mean, she would say, okay, now you can read this recipe. But it was worth it to read a recipe if I was going to actually get to make it and then eat it at the end. You know, Uh so now, obviously, this was one-on-one tutoring. Yes. So it was extremely, you know, easy to do things like that. But some of her philosophy was completely transferable to a classroom. I mean, it wasn't just one on because it right. was one. So fast forward, I think what she gave me was as much the ability to eventually learn how to read. It took me a long time. And literally it was, I would say, by the end of middle school that I became a student, you know, that I could do go beyond just trying to get by. You know, it, I started to be able to think a little bit. I never conquered math. I had terrible dyscalculia and was not interested. I mean, she, she tried. She loved math. But we were spending so much time on the, you know, English language art stuff that she kind of, I think, accepted that I just wasn't going to go there. So <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I, I think in this day and age, they know more about what to do with math. And she maybe would have had an easier time. But I don't know. I mean, my, my math struggles were big. Um, Tell me about your self-esteem. Do you remember? So that was the interesting thing is that, as I mentioned, you know, my siblings sort of were fine. I was the youngest. They all had their own. My brother had ADHD who was only 18 months ahead of me. So he was actually having in some ways more trouble because not only did he have the learning stuff, which he did, what went along with his ADD, he was bouncing off the walls and I didn't have the behavioral stuff. I tended to be quiet and good mm-hmm. and you know, not get into trouble. And so he really had a hard time. Um, it was more with peers. I mean, I was ashamed. I was ashamed of going to a tutor. I was ashamed of the things that I knew would be marked up all over my paper. Um, I was ashamed that I had ideas, but I couldn't get them down on paper, you know, that was, I I walked around with so much shame and, and luckily I went to a school that was very progressive in the sense that it had a lot of arts and it was very arts based. And so that was my savior. I think that's what helped me with my self-esteem. That's really good. I was able to at least do well, you know, in the jewelry making class or in, you know, an art class or in some other ways so that I didn't feel like I was a complete failure, but until high school, I really pretty much felt I was a fake, you know? Yeah. I just felt like I didn't really belong, even though like many of the people who you say, you know, watch your podcast or who have been on, 
you know, I, I, it wasn't like I didn't understand the ideas. And that's mm-hmm. always, I think, the very confusing thing for parents initially is, but my child seems really bright, like they're getting so many concepts, and they're so good at certain things, but they can't uh, seem to tell me the alphabet. Like, how do I put those two things together? And that is very confusing, I think, for parents. And and now we know more and we understand that the brain can have these little kind of areas where they're almost like glitches. And that's why um, you can have some incredible strengths and then some weaknesses. So, I mean, that's become my mantra in life and that's led me to create Super Devil. I mean, I didn't really even know about social emotional learning as a educational term when I started thinking about Super Devil because it was about 10 years ago and I was just talking with my brother and he, you know, as someone with ADD, knew that I wanted to try to give back really to all those who had helped me because I had gotten won this Academy Award and I felt like it was time that I do something about dyslexia. And that's so cool. Um, and that's what sort of led me to get into doing Super Devil. And, um, and my daughter, um, as you mentioned, that I have two children and my, I watch them each like a hawk, um, as I think many parents go through. Talk about your daughter's journey a little bit. Yeah. So my daughter um, was the second child, only 20 months younger than her brother, and he did not have problems learning how to read. And so she, by four, you know, five, she was so frustrated. I mean, you know, to see him not that much older reading chapter books and she would, I mean, it was like steam was coming out of her head. She was so frustrated. So I knew enough that I called up some colleagues and neuropsych people. And I said, look, this is what I'm noticing. Yes. Not only can she not tell me the alphabet, you know, as her peers or as many age appropriate kids would be able to. Um, She has no idea about the months of the year. She has no idea about sequencing. She, you know, left and right. I mean, it was all the things that um, are part of sort of the daily life, I think, Mm -hmm. of of a young dyslexic. And so many dyslexics can have different kinds of 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 strengths and weaknesses, but there are certain things in the processing that can often be similar. So this um, colleague said, listen, I would save the money for right now and not have her go through the whole big battery of neuropsych tests. She was in public school and they weren't going to do anything anyway, because she was Mm -hmm. only in first grade at that point, kindergarten. I mean, they wouldn't bother doing anything until third grade, they said. So, um, so he said, just go get her a tutor who can do Orton Gillingham, who can who do- Who told you to do that? The neuropsych. Oh, okay, good. He said, just, you're never going to get it in the school for years. They're going to just ignore it. And so we know what she needs. So let's just go give it to her. And if it's not working, then we'll go further with the testing. Well, of course it worked beautifully. And she started to you know, read and be able to do writing, but none of it was happening in her public school. That's I mean, right. I was doing it outside. And so- um, Basically, we were able, luckily, we lived across the street from a a lab school that had been started by Columbia University, and half of the spots were for um, professors 
children, but in order to do it, half the spots had to be for community members. So we applied because she was in a regular public school with big class size, and I knew that wasn't going to be ideal. And so Mm -hmm. she got into this smaller lab school that was still very diverse, and it was a great, you know, community, but it meant she was able to get more attention. So she still didn't get a neuropsych evaluation because they taught to the child. Their attitude was everybody's going to come in here with different strengths and weaknesses, and our curriculum is going to address that. And Mm -hmm. if a child is really failing, you know, we'll do something, but she was doing great. And so it wasn't until high school in ninth grade, when she was in a pretty pressured environment, because she's a bright kid. Mm -hmm. And she came to me after a week and said, mom, you better get me tested. And I said, okay. She said, yeah, I need extra time. Because she needed the extra accommodations. Yeah. She said, I mean, it was fine at the school of Columbia because they gave everyone accommodations. I mean, we all could take us like, you know, it was like, it was so different at this school. I am going to fail, fail, fail. If we don't get me tested really quick. And what I loved was she had learned how to advocate for herself, which is another piece of this puzzle. Dyslexic people will really work hard. They'll either work really hard or they'll give up. And if they they have parents helping them. What they need. I mean, you need to be able to, I think the way I break it down and we work in super devil on trying to help kids with this is that first you need to get your self-esteem intact. And you do that by understanding that everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Everybody non-dyslexics. We all do, right? That's right. Every child in a school classroom, if you go and ask them to draw a picture of their brain and say, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? They'll draw that picture. You know, they don't have to be dyslexic to draw that picture. So if they can be in touch with that and they can realize, okay, well, I'm going to have to work harder at the things that are the weaknesses, but I, you know, have these other strengths and I'm going to cultivate them and be proud of them and, and be encouraged, hopefully by those around me. So once you get your self-esteem, which for me, my wonderful Mary Poppins tutor really helped (laughs) me with, and it really was without her, I used to say to her as an adult, what would have happened to me? I felt scared. Like Mm -hmm. if I hadn't had her in my life. That's, I think that's my, my dream is all these kids that I work with. I hope they remember me when they're, when they're older. (laughs) I think I'm a little grandma, (laughs) you know, that it's really, it changes a child's life to get the right kind of help early, especially before you're walking around feeling so terrible about yourself. You know, I mean, it really makes a big difference. Well, and the, the research shows if the kids aren't reading at grade level by fourth grade, they're the ones at risk to drop out of high school and go to prison, but they're the ones that rarely catch up. So the ones that do get the help from their parents, bless them, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think, I think parents are heroes and heroines out there, you know, identifying, trying, pushing for what, getting what their child needs and teachers, because there are teachers who, you know, I've met teachers who were staying after school in second or third grade to try to help a child because they knew they weren't getting the help early enough. You know, they knew that it was, it's really too long to wait even t- till fourth grade, in my opinion. It but, is, it is. You know, yeah. I mean, it should be being identified much younger. So, you know, in terms of my daughter, the thing I'm very proud of, so I get to have a moment of doing this, but I think it's a great example. Um, because she both had a school environment and a, a public school, basically, but it was a school that within 
meeting the core curriculum and other things really tried to infuse um, project-based learning. And that really helped her because mm -hmm. it, it's very artistic. It helped her bring in her sort of big picture thinking. Yes. If she got to sort of see the strengths that she had, even though she was, you know, dyslexic and, you know, going through many things where she still had to take longer and it was going to be hard. And she is going to UCLA medical school in August. Um, oh. scholarship. So, you know, she's a real example. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm very happy for her. And and she did it. She did it by, I think all I was able to do was early on give her that sense of, yeah, you're like me. You know, you got some strengths, you got some weaknesses. Dyslexia is no more or no less than that. That's and right. it's hard to sit and do that extra work sometimes. But there are other things that you get like this. You know, would you call it a suit? Would you call dyslexia a superpower? Well, that whole thing that has evolved in the past decade, um, I cringe a little bit about. Have you? I, I have to admit, um, because I've worked with enough kids in the Super D show, because I all the actors in our videos are kids with learning differences, and the kids have said to me that what they don't like about the superpower idea is that it's pressure because what if they don't feel it at a certain point? What if they feel, if they just feel like a regular kid, you know, and that they don't necessarily feel, they feel like, Oh, you mean I have to be dyslexic and I also have to find my superpower. I mean, that's hard. And I don't know, you know, it doesn't work for every kid okay. to have that feeling. And I think it's something we all have to be a little aware of because it's a somewhat adult concept, I think. I think um, it is because I've had adults tell me it's their child's superpower. And I've had adults tell me it's my superpower. Right. So I guess kids just can't have that pressure on them. Well, it depends. And some kids, it's fine and they get it. And um, but some kids, it, especially depending on where they are in their trajectory and their development, um, they might not be feeling it, you know, they might just be feeling like, listen, what I really want to be is on the football team. And I'm the smallest kid in my class. Yeah. So it's not happening. And don't talk to me about superpower, you know, and let me ask so you, tell me a little bit about your, let the audience know about your super devil, what the, what the videos represent yeah. and everything. So first of all, anyone who's listening, um, super go there and it's free to subscribe. So you can see it for yourself, which is really the best way. Um, and what it is, is a series of short videos. It's targeting um, the age of really third, fourth, fifth graders, but people show it to younger kids and some on older kids, but it's elementary school. And the idea is to show videos of kids who themselves have learning differences in situations. They're, they're scripted. So they're funny and whimsical. They're little stories. And um, it's to show them in situations that kids with dyslexia or other learning differences um, face every day in life or in school. And that way, it's like peer to peer sort of mentoring, uh -huh. except instead of one to one, it, you know, the video allows it to be one video to a thousand kids because, you know, thousands of kids can watch the videos, but they're very intimate. They're very much about the kids being open in the course of them about having a learning difference. And, um, and they're funny, as I said, so the kids are you know, really cute. I was the laughing. audience really likes to, you know, the kids yeah. like to watch them. 
um, uh, you know, a lot. And so each video has four activities that have been designed by um, educators at the Harvard Grad School of Education and at Tufts, who work specifically in the area of learning disabilities and social emotional learning. And the concept is that each video is based on a social emotional learning theme. And for those of you who don't necessarily know the phrase, it's a to me called the whole child. It's thinking yes. about all the things that kids deal with as they grow up and that are especially important when you have dyslexia, like having self-esteem, being able to advocate for yourself, um, resilience, you know, being aware um, what they call now growth mindset, not comparing yourself to other people, um, having a sense of community, not feeling alone. That's a really, really big one during this pandemic year. Yes. I mean, um, you know, kids with dyslexia can feel alone to begin with. They can feel like they're the only kid in their whole class who has this problem because mm -hmm. it's not talked about openly, right? It hasn't been particularly, um, and I hear of families where the families start being really cool and together and are parting, part of like decoding dyslexia and are out there and they're, and they're open. And then there'll be members of the extended family, an aunt or an uncle who know nothing and treat the child terribly, you know? Mm. And so it can happen even with, it's not just in school. I mean, it can yeah. happen out of school. So, so Super Devo really is offering kids a place where they can go watch these videos and see that they're not alone. They can learn some of these themes by doing the activities. So our target is to have them actually used in schools. And homeschool. Homeschool would be a great market. Lots of homeschoolers are already using them. And, um, you know, it's fantastic. And we love, love to get feedback. And we will be doing more episodes. One of our biggest questions lately has been, when are you going to have them for middle school? Like, when are you going to go up? And, and we want to. I okay. mean, we're just waiting to get enough funding and, and be out there enough to be able to pay to do it. But we want to keep going up in the grades and we want people's feedback. So you can go, I know you're going to put this in the chat, but we can go to, you can go to questions at superdville.com and send any thoughts, reactions, ideas for a, a, a script. I mean, sounds we great. are very, very open to hearing what parents teachers and dyslexic kids themselves might want to say. And we're also casting um, kids right now. So if you have a child who you, um, the only criteria is that they have to want to perform mm -hmm. and they also have, they have to have a learning difference and they have to be willing to be open about it and public. Okay. You know, and I wanted, we're going to need to wrap this up, but I just want to share some of the things I share when I speak in places is that there's four areas where dyslexic people really thrive. One of them is in the arts with theater, and then it's engineering, architecture, and entrepreneurship. So I love to see that you are thriving in the arts as well as in your daughter's. What is she going to be studying at UCLA again? Medicine. 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 Look at that. So while not all children, well, not all dyslexic kids need to go to college, there are ways we can support them to get to college if they want to be in medicine or be a lawyer. Or I, I mean, I know dyslexic surgeons. Definitely, and, but honestly, she would be the first to tell you that without extra time, yes, she would not be going to medical school. 
So and kids are embarrassed to say that. I mean, families need to get their kids assessed for that reason. Assessed for that, and you need, and the child needs to not be embarrassed or feel they don't deserve it or that makes them not as good or because they'll get all kinds of questions and they'll get all kinds of comments possibly, you know, like, well, if you hadn't gotten extra time, you would have never gotten into medical school. Right. They have to learn to understand how the the extra time works and that's right. Important. But um, yes, I mean, I think that, I think, listen, there are, you know, creative dyslexic chefs. There are dyslexic. I mean, I love it. I I don't, find that I ever talk to almost anyone without finding out that they know someone who's dyslexic. Um, And I think if we can help dyslexic children when they're young, especially we have to reach out to all communities. There are communities which know have less resources and less, you know, ways of um, because their school systems have less resources. And so we really need to make sure that all kids, this crosses race and um, cultural backgrounds and, and that they get help young because I really that's great. Feel like that's, you know, well, your, your passion really comes through and it's probably equaled by none other than my own passion. I think that's true. <laughs> they help that's dyslexic children. Connected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and close this up. I, I want to thank you so much, Peggy. And audience, if what we have shared has really inspired you, would you please go to our website, dyslexia-solutions.com. Think about being a sponsor for us. Also, I'm going to have a free download for you. It's called, it's my cheat sheet to creating a safe place for your dyslexic child to learn. You can download it on my website. And also you can, you can uh, reach out to me at meetmarianne.com. I'd love to talk to you and see how we can help you with your children. Peggy, thanks again for your time. Thank you for inviting me. Okay. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. for listening to this podcast in its entirety. If what we shared today has inspired you, would you please visit our website, dyslexia-solutions.com and consider making a donation so that we can keep these podcasts going. Also, please subscribe to our channel and find me on, on Instagram, Marianne Sintron. Thank you again for tuning in and may God bless you.